Welcome to 20 Not Something, the podcast for 20-somethings who haven't quite figured out what their something is yet. Each week, I'll be speaking to a different guest about their experiences of this messy decade to reassure you that everything turns out all right in the end. Because doing something in your 20s can actually mean doing anything that makes you happy. This series of 20 Not Something is sponsored by Swirls and Curls, your go-to luxury baked goods brand. Any of you who know me well will understand my infatuation with cakes and cookies. But what's even more impressive is when a brand can deliver top quality first-class products which still taste fresh and delicious with a warm home-baked touch. Swirls and Curls is a small business run by the lovely Kirsty, and her beautifully decorated cakes and sugar cookies are the perfect gift for a partner, friend, family member, or for just treating yourself. They are incredible value for money, look fantastic, and taste even better. Head over to Swirls and Curls on Instagram to feast your eyes and stomachs on their wide range of products, and go and spoil yourselves and your loved ones this month with some truly tasty treats. Today I am joined by professional cricketer Phoebe Graham. Phoebe's 20s could quite easily be perceived as a classic romantic comedy, with cricket playing the lead role that would usually go to Hugh Grant. Having found an early love for the sport, largely inspired by her father, Phoebe played at club, county and at university level. After graduating from Exeter Uni, she got a grad job at Johnson & Johnson and though still unsure of her path, took every opportunity that was presented to her. However, when Phoebe was 23, her father sadly passed away, causing Phoebe to reevaluate her reasons for playing, resulting in her taking a time out from cricket to focus on herself and her career. Phoebe worked her way up at Johnson & Johnson in brand management before moving over to become marketing lead for B2B Sports and Cinema at Sky. Meanwhile, cricket still sat lingering in the background, and it was actually when Phoebe was invited by a friend to watch the 2017 World Cup, she realised just how much she had missed the sport. From that moment, Phoebe gradually made her way back into the game, juggling intense training with the move to Sky and also setting up her own website, Tip and Flip, aimed at improving perceptions of women in sport. In 2020, Phoebe made the decision to leave her job at Sky and become a full-time professional cricketer. Her move back into cricket has provided a new structure for the game, proving that just because you might be considered late to the party, it by no means makes you any less deserving of being there. In a recent article published by BBC Sport, Phoebe said, I might be a mug in the long run, but over the past year, COVID-19 has shown you have to do what makes you happy. Phoebe, welcome to 20 Not Something. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show and what a lovely introduction. Oh, you're welcome. How how was training? Was it very wet and horrible or were you inside at the moment? We're inside at the moment, so very lucky to be indoor and because of covid one-to-one training so it's been really great today despite wet and miserable outside in this very long (laughs) January. Oh it is isn't it it's always the longest month. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to kick things off by asking you the same question I ask everyone and that is thinking back to when you were entering your 20s decade can you remember what the one thing you wanted most was? Yes so I think thinking about your 20s, the, the hardest years that you go through. And I think I've always tried to find happiness and fulfilment. And that's where my path has probably led to where I am today. Mm. But the difficulty I've always find, found is asking the question, what makes you happy? And therefore, which plates to balance, essentially. 
Mm. Do you think you have the answer to that yet? What makes you happy? Uh, Definitely not, but I'm working (laughs) towards it. And I think I'm figuring out what to say yes to, what to say no to, and where to focus Mm. my time and priorities. And I think that's something that I definitely struggled with in my early 20s when you're trying to essentially do everything and anything possible and you feel like you're almost leading a juggling act. So, yeah, I think that's probably going into my 20s. I was just always looking for happiness fulfillment. Mm, It's so true. I think so many people say, oh, just say yes to everything. But I think the power actually really comes from saying no, because I never know when to say no, even if it's, oh, come out tonight um, and I'm not feeling it. I'll I'll say yes a lot of the time because, you know, FOMO. But I think the power actually does come when you learn to say no. And I do think that comes with time. Definitely. Couldn't agree Mm. more. And particularly (laughs) coming into my latter few years, and putting cricket as my number one priority that's when I had to be a lot firmer in saying yes and no and Mm -hmm. for example before Covid we had a Friday night pub club in London where we'd go and try different (laughs) pubs and after one drink I'd have to say look guys I'm gonna have to go home because I've got training Mm -hmm. at seven tomorrow and that's something that I didn't have the power to do in my early 20s because (laughs) I wasn't good at prioritizing and realizing where my focus was so Mm -hmm. yeah I think the balancing act of life you've just got to keep trialing what works for you (laughs) so true thinking about um back in your early 20s then uh obviously playing sport to a very high level I think there is a certain pressure on young people particularly when you're playing at academy or even for your country that you almost have to make that decision to commit to it potentially before you're ready um did you see a lot of that happening around you or did you feel it yourself even with women's sport, when I was probably 15, 16, it was just coming into that professional era. So it was, I think, four or five years prior to England women getting their full-time professional contracts. And they were just putting things like testings in place and having academy weekends. And it was almost at that tipping point where fitness was becoming a real priority in the game. Now, I was probably at the point where pressure and choices of whether you pick cricket hockey football weren't necessarily on me as an individual and I was playing a lot of different sports that complemented one another but it was definitely happening within the game so now I know there's a lot more pressure and expectations within women's sport because there's a lot more funding and resource and that was one of my decisions really to enter into professional sport when I got the opportunity because the Mm. expectations had shifted so much over the space of eight years. And with these new structures in place, it requires three full days training. And it's very difficult going from managing a career where you're talking to clients every day to then going into a meeting to analyse the team the night before a game. So Mm. it, it shifted And it has shifted over the past five, ten years into that professional space, which I think is brilliant for women's sport. But it does come with those pressures and expectations, which hopefully we can learn from um, the pressures that have happened in men's sport and help guide some of the youngsters through with those choices. I think it's really important that you do play a number of sports and learn from different disciplines. So, 
yeah, it's really challenging. But I think me, 17, 18, probably just got away with those pressures and expectations. I was very much in and around the environments as they were coming through. But now, definitely, you can feel them. And that was one of my main reasons to take the professional contract, because I was finding it so difficult to balance a professional career and playing semi-professional sport. Yeah, it's it's really tough. I've got friends who play for England lacrosse um, and I am in awe at how they can juggle some of them, you know, really tricky jobs from, you know, the NHS to corporate corporate world um, and how they can balance that with then being dedicated to training. It's, it's really tough. Yeah, it's incredible when you look around you at all the female athletes, Olympians, Paralympians that have been doing it for so many years and that's one of the big privileges I'm feeling at the moment is the funding from the ECB to extend professional contracts in the UK from 15 to 55 so 55 female cricketers have the privilege to dedicate and focus their time to be the best possible athlete it's just somewhere that I never thought would happen in the game and I didn't think Mm -hmm. I'd be making that decision to enter into this field at 29 years old I'd almost written off that path when I chose to go down to Exeter Uni really so yeah Yeah. it's um amazing and hats off to everyone that's still doing it I've got so much respect for people that are balancing their sporting careers and professional careers at the same time yeah yeah definitely um speaking about you know when you went down to Exeter obviously you graduated and started at Johnson and Johnson and then at 23 I'm so sorry to hear about your your dad passing away I can't even imagine what that must have been like to go through especially at that age when the world already feels you know so uncertain in so many ways um and you mentioned in your note to me that that was around the same time that you stopped playing cricket um and I wondered if if it was okay with you to talk a little bit about that decision and how you dealt with leaving cricket at, at that time yeah most definitely and it was a really emotional time in my life as you can imagine and my dad was such a figurehead for me playing cricket and he was a minor count minor count cricket player he had a cricket specialist sport shop in the local neighborhood And in a way, it was a little bit of a minor celebrity. Everyone knew who PC was. And one of the reasons I enjoyed coming down to Exeter was almost recreating my own identity in the cricketing world. Mm. In the last few years, my dad was terminally, terminally ill with cancer and I was playing a lot of cricket and probably not really knowing whether I was playing for him or for me. And I think because it was such a such a sport that, I enjoyed with him it just felt so heavy to keep playing and at that point I just started my career at Johnson and Johnson and that there was a lot of pressure with the job and you know when you're starting your graduate job or any first job you put so much pressure on yourself anyway Mm -hmm. to perform the best possible and I just felt at that time I needed to focus on me and what was important to me and I think I took a step away from cricket and sport entirely, really, which I don't know if it was the right or wrong thing, but at that point I just needed my own space and time to deal with what had happened. Yeah, I think grief manifests itself in everyone so differently. Um, 
And it does take real courage to be able to step away from something like that, especially if your dreams before that had been, you know, that that professional cricketing career. Um, I'm curious to ask, actually, I think playing sport from a young age prepares you for a lot of things in the, in the big wide world, um, like being out of your comfort zone and how to deal with setbacks and losses and stuff. Did you find that that was helpful when you went into the corporate world or did you feel a bit in like way over your head? <laughs> I honestly think sport teaches you all the values of life. Like I'm such a strong believer that you can transfer so much knowledge and insight from sport into business. And then what I'm learning now is what I can transfer from business back into sport. And I think Mm. the one thing with any competitive sportsman or woman that doesn't leave you is that growth mindset and going into business, you're always looking at how you can make things bigger and better, which can be exhausting. But at the same time, you're so used to thinking about your own game and how you can improve your game that Mm. actually that comes second nature to you to look at a problem and think, actually, if we do it this way, we could make it better because you're constantly, you're used to that feedback process to make things better. And I think as well, working in a team environment as well, it's just Mm. something that naturally happens through team sports and you work really well with stakeholders and that's been what people say is one of my strengths, but it definitely comes from sport because if you're a good teammate there's a really strong chance that your team will perform really well if you're playing for one another so yeah I think those two skills sort of came in really handy within business but those values that you learn through sport your leadership your team cohesiveness and growth Mm. mindset I think yeah you can apply at any time to to business and the world of work yeah, 100%. I totally agree, especially on the the team building front. Absolutely. Um, so obviously, you know, you worked your way up at Johnson & Johnson um, and had that time out to focus on yourself. And then it was the 2017 World Cup, which was almost the catalyst for your return. But before that point, was there any moment in those years where cricket drew you back in slightly or were you always sort of focused on on the business world? Do you know, I literally never thought I'd pick up a cricket ball again. Did you? really enjoyed my social life. I really enjoyed (laughs) um, playing a bit of um, tag rugby, a bit of netball, but that competitive environment I hadn't missed, which is crazy because you've been brought up in it for so many years. But it was the 2017 World Cup final. And then a week later, I played in a charity cricket match. Now, being in, around the England girls and a lot of the girls that I'd grown up in the setup with, I'd just seen how much the game had progressed in the space of two, three years since the England contracts were introduced. You know, these girls on the fields were athletes and it was such a competitive game and so good to watch. And it was a full stadium at Lords. And then a week later, I was playing in a charity match for sadly one of my dad's friends that had passed away in my um And I was playing with a lot of his old friends. And I just thought, my gosh, I've missed this. And so it was those two things side by side that I just thought, right, next season, I'm coming coming back into sport and realised, you know, you can fill your Saturdays with bottomless brunches and that kind of thing. (laughs) It needs to come. 
so I'd yeah like at the time I hadn't missed it at all it was almost like that sniff of live sport again being in Mm. that environment and then I've never looked back since that's awesome do you do you ever think that oh crap I wish I'd never left or are you happy for the years out that you had I'm so happy for the years out I think they were much needed I think they Mm. really helped me deal with the grief of my father passing away Mm. and I think sometimes when you've had such a long relationship with a sport, you do need time out and you come back and you find refine the love for it. So yeah, I think there's times that you've definitely got to be persistent, resilient, stay with it. You have bad games, you have good games, but at points, if it means stepping away to come back to, that's definitely, I don't regret doing that at all. And I think you've a hundred percent proved that, there is no it's never too late to do anything um and I think that in your 20s especially you can go into them and be like oh by 25 I want to be here and by 27 I want to have this and by 20 like that's very common um but it's really refreshing to hear you say that actually that when there isn't a plan it's almost more rewarding because it gives you so much more freedom to actually do as you said what what makes you happy definitely and it's difficult because you're surrounded by social norms just through things like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and you make social comparisons to what your friends are doing and what other people are doing. And the norm at 29.30 is to probably be buying a house, have a lovely family potentially, be getting engaged. And I think if you make those worlds different, You've got to be really clear on what you want from them so that you can be at peace with it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's challenging from that side. But the other side of it, if you just stick to one, if you stay focused and although I haven't really had a plan, I knew when I was at Johnson & Johnson, I'm missing the sport element of my career and that I know that part makes me happy. So then I applied for four or five jobs at the ECB, the FA, a sports marketing agency, and eventually got the role at Sky Sports. And then when at Sky Sports and playing in this new semi-professional environment, I was like, oh my gosh, there's something else that I want now. (laughs) So it's kind of directed from that vision of working in sport. Um, So yeah, like it's hard because you make comparisons in any situation. But I think if you go with... um, what makes you happy life's a journey and you've just got to take it step by step really or mm. that's what I keep telling myself anyway <laughs> <laughs> no I think it's a great way to live your life um yeah because I remember reading that in your BBC Sport article back in December about um you were talking about the societal expectations of what someone at your age is narrative is sort of naturally prone to do i.e buying the house and settling down um did you ever feel pressure for that? I mean, do you feel it? Do you feel it now? Or are you very much happy with the path that you're on? I feel very happy with the path that I'm on. I guess one big sacrifice or compromise that I've made is to come back and live in the family home. Like, hopefully mm-hmm. it won't be forever. But for now, that's something that I've just learned to get my head around in terms of being able to take this new path. And I guess if you want to take 
a leap of faith into the unknown. There are areas of your life that you will have to make compromise on. And that was something that I recognised the stability of a full-time job, the stability of a career path is no longer going to be there if you want to go down this cricket route. And so that was the Mm. tension that I had. But then I've never, ever had the opportunity to have these structures in place where you can have one-to-one batting coaching, bowling coaches, access to physios, access to sports psychologists. And I just, you've just sometimes got to think what's there to lose. And so it ended up being a really easy decision. But at the back of your mind, you can't help that little thing thing. Would come on, food. She'd be back in London, and <laughs> things might be a little bit easier yeah. from that sense because you won't be living with mum. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Oh well, I'm sure she's happy to have you back. Parents love it when we come back, don't they? <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. So <laughs> part and parcel of the yeah. new career. <laughs> Um, before we go on to play Millennial Minesweeper, I just wanted to also briefly touch on Tip and Flip. Um, I think it's such a fantastic platform that you've created um, for female empowerment and in, in athletes. Where do you hope to go with that? So Tip and Flip, I originally created probably around 12 months ago now. And my idea behind it was that through working at Sky and seeing the commercialisation of sport, we're at this tipping point with women's sport that we're, we're bringing in more audiences, there's more investments, but still a lot of perceptions need to be flipped in terms of mm. how people perceive it, whether they take it seriously enough. Um, and when you turn on a f- women's football game, what's your initial reaction? What kind of press is in the, on the back page? Because at the moment it is still 90, 95% men's sport. So I was just doing a lot of research in the areas of women's sport, how it's progressing in the US, how it's progressing in Australia. Australia's um, women held the T20 World Cup final in March last year and 86,000 people came to the stadium to watch the game. So I think we're at this tipping point of something really special, but things need, Mm. perceptions need to be flipped in order for it to really grow and explode. So I'm exploring Mm. at the moment where I can take Tip and Flip, whether it's doing motivational talks, going into schools. I'm doing my coaching qualification at the moment. So trialling out different areas. But I think there's a huge piece around if we both champion the game, if you have Gareth Southgate talking about how good the short-form game of women's football is and then have I know Phil Neville's just leaving now but Phil Neville talking about how we can use the and incorporate the long game in the long ball into the women's game and take learnings from both sports we'd be in a much more progressive place like championing the game from both male and female perspective um, and just believing that change will happen so that was another reason to take the professional contract is I really believe that change is happening and people are taking women's sport more seriously and it makes my game come on significantly more because the way that people are analyzing me and talking about my stats and um, bowling performance and it being recorded is just something that's never been in place before so a long-winded answer to 
where is tip and flip going i'm not 100 percent sure but i'd love to use my voice as much as possible to be a role model um for young girls and try and increase the number of female athletes participating in sport and so that young girls can now think i want to be a professional athlete versus i want to play sport because i think that's probably the difference when i was growing up i just wanted to play but didn't have those role models that i could see and didn't know that you could be in professional sport so i'm just hoping that change is happening across broadcast media within the athleticism of the game that can really open up opportunities for the future generations so we'll see where it goes but it just stems from a huge passion of mine to get more girls and females aspiring to be female athletes and playing the playing the games that I've loved and had real enjoyment from yeah, I can totally relate to that as well. I, I was an avid footballer back in the day as a kid. And I think a huge part of why I maybe gave up was because I didn't really feel like I was taken seriously or or didn't see that there was a route I could take. Um, and I would always compare it to watching, I would watch football at the weekend with my dad and watch the men's game and think, God, I wish women's football was like this. But I think what's really cool about tip and flip is that you don't you don't compare the male and female sports you're about championing both of them and I think that's such a powerful way of of looking at it definitely and even with like so I used to play women's football as well our home fixtures used to be an hour and a half drive away and I was lucky enough that my parents took me to my sport events same yeah (laughs) guys games were five minutes down the road so when I have children I hope that you know you can bring them to fixtures that are five minutes away and it's much more accessible as well um so yeah I think that visibility piece will keep people in the game longer and hopefully more people playing will mean five minute drives rather than two hour drives to get a game of football in Cool. Thank you, Phoebe. We're going to go on to play Millennial Minesweeper now, um, which is basically I'll just read out a few quotes, which is all about living life in your 20s. And we just talk about them. So if you agree with them, um, sound all right. Perfect. Um, So our first quote is, we delight in the beauty of the butterfly, but rarely admit the changes it has gone through to achieve that beauty. Love it. Mm. I found that absolutely love it. Yes, I think that's brilliant. Yeah, you never talk about the terrible times when. Yeah, love that. Yeah, even talking about dad, it was horrendous. But you perceive it in such a positive light when you're talking about it. So yeah, I think that's fabulous. I think that's what retrospect gains in a way, isn't it? You know, I think we can always a lot of the people I have on this podcast they say gosh I feel like I'm romanticizing my 20s so much <laughs> um but it's really when you look back at stuff oh definitely yeah love that definitely cool so our second one is why are so many 20 somethings saying they're too old for this shit your relatives probably still have bottles of wine that are older than you agree I know I go to training and they I call them kids, they're 17, 18, 20, 21. Like, oh, I'm just getting so old. I'm like, girls, I'm 29 and I'm still here. <laughs> so change, change your attitudes, ladies. I know, I hate it. I was on the phone to my best friend last night and she was like, God, I'm going to be 26 this year. I'm so old. I was like, oh my God, I can't listen to this anymore. <laughs> You're not old. Still plenty of time. 
I know. Plenty, plenty of time. Okay. And our, our final one is data suggests that almost one third of 16 to 24 year olds class themselves as non-drinkers. Wow. Mm. And that was from the Huff Post in 2019. Um, interestingly, their reasons were because Gen Z and millennials want are worried about embarrassing videos of intoxication on Instagram. And I was like, oh, I don't know if that's a primary reason. <laughs> but I wondered if you'd noticed that. Do you know, I've seen that trend coming through, particularly around organic foods, being careful around what you eat, being lean. Um, I mean... I wish my uni days were like that because I think I put on <laughs> two or three stone in the first year. So you didn't. You didn't. <laughs> things have definitely changed. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I think it's really mm. it can be really positive um, if it's in the right way, not necessarily the alcohol, but I think that addictive mindset around sport, exercise, being lean, eating the right foods, because I think that's potentially where it stems from versus the use of alcohol itself it's an interesting yeah that's so true i think that's uh, you know a lot of people at the moment are very health conscious um i actually an episode a podcast episode went out today i was speaking to a girl who's my age who's decided to go sober and um i think it is really interesting because we are we do grow up in this or certainly i did in an environment where alcohol is just sort of part of daily life i never really knew it was a drug until i was 21 or something yeah um i think we've got a terrible culture of binge drinking as well which isn't great at all I think moderation is key and that's something that since playing a lot more over the past couple of years I've definitely moved towards in terms of just enjoying one or two on a Friday or Saturday even still playing now Mm. like I do enjoy a glass of wine when it comes to Friday but it's that moderation piece is so key and I think in a lot of areas of life just making sure that it's done in moderation otherwise it becomes excessive and there is something about Gen Z and the um, obsessiveness of fashion trends and not sustainability but those sustainable eating habits Mm -hmm. I don't know I've not articulated that particularly well but the yeah I think it's when it becomes obsessive it gets really unhealthy yeah yeah, I agree. I agree. Oh, well, thank you so much, Phoebe, for coming on to chat to me. I've had a lovely time. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's been great. No worries. And good luck with the season. I mean, I don't I don't really know what what's your plans with everything. So season starts in April for the Northern Diamonds. And then we've got the new competition, the 100 that comes out in July. So I'm hopefully going to get a contract for that. That's what I'm working towards at the moment. And then all finish in September. So, yeah, working hard for April to September at the moment. Awesome. Thank you, Phoebe. Brilliant. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again, Phoebe, for coming on the show. And a big thank you to all of you guys at home for listening as well. If you enjoyed this episode, then please feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. We absolutely love to read them and it helps more people find the podcast as well. So it's a win-win really. This podcast wouldn't sound as slick as it does without our wonderful composer and producer, Pete Haff. So a big shout out to Pete. Thank you for working your magic. And we'll be back again next week with another brilliant guest. So I'll see you very soon. Hold up. 